Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block, politics, perspectives, and players. Warnings continue throughout eastern Australia, in New South Wales and Queensland, where bushfires continue to destroy homes and farmland. Australia is the driest continent in the world, and according to the Weather Bureau, which is Australia's version of Environment Canada, climate change is impacting the bushfire season. Just how much of an impact is climate change having on the bushfires that we're seeing in Australia? Joining me now from Hobart is David Bowman, professor of pyrogeography and fire science, as well as the Fire Centre Director at the University of Tasmania in Australia. Welcome to the show, Mr. Bowman. Pleasure. How have bushfires in Australia been evolving and changing, and what are you seeing this year? So that's right. What we're seeing with uh, the bushfire situation now is that our fire seasons have actually merged with the Northern Hemisphere. It's hard to believe that a couple of weeks ago in Hobart, around Hobart, there were uncontrolled fires. Whilst there were fires burning in California, we had three total fire ban days. Uh, luckily, those fires didn't escalate. But that just gives you a sense of how early, well, this is our early spring. Tassie is the, the southern, most southern part of Australia. And what we're seeing up in New South Wales and Queensland is um, you know, a million hectares already burnt, a million hectares. Um, it's, it's eight or ten times more than you would expect in, a, in one season, and the season has barely begun. Why do you think the season is so much worse this year than it has been in previous years? Oh, yeah, this is... Um, this, at the end of this year, this coming uh, summer, you know, because we have two years for our summer, uh, I'm absolutely confident that this is a transformative event historically for Australia. This will be our bushfire Gallipoli. This will be something that's going to change Australia forever. Um, it's just set up like that. Now, hopefully I'll be wrong and there could be luck and we could get an ex-tropical cyclone that could bring an enormous amount of water to the east coast of Australia and uh, make the fire season, uh, you know, just an, an anomalously early but short-lived one. But there are, all of the forecasts are telling us that there is simply no rain coming. And what we're doing is we're getting this um, horrible uh, beating, really, from the synoptic systems where we get uh, pretty well every three days now these incredibly strong wind bursts coming through. Um, and then you get like these wind changes which are occurring, oscillating, and uh, they're, they're driving these fires. The, the head of the fire changes to the flank of the fire. The flank of the fire changes to the head of the fire, switching backwards and forwards. Um, and in some cases, we've got weather systems developing over the fires that are creating their own weather. So, this, the communities involved are absolutely, um, uh, well, they're, they're, you know, what do you say to a community that just does not know their future? Can you give us a sense of what it looks like on the ground with the spread of these fires for the animals, for the people who are living there, and for the communities? Well, you know, one of the, the big unspoken stories of these fires is the, the epic smoke pollution We've had smoke pollution in uh, Brisbane and Sydney, which is, you know, um, you know, like 
makes, you know, eclipses, you know, the bad sort of epic coal pollution you get in China. Um, and so people are really suffering from this uh, horrendous uh, bushfire smoke pollution. What I'm worried about will be the, the, the classic double punch, which will come with these fires, that we're going to get after the fires are over, we're going to get heavy rain, very steep terrain. So there's going to be erosion, washouts. Uh, here in Tassie, on fire grounds, we've lost bridges because the fires are burning so much more intensely than they used to uh, because the fuel is so, um, you know, basically it's desiccated. Uh, look, I've got to explain, around Hobart, the trees are dying back now, and this is spring. They're beginning to shed, the evergreen eucalypts are beginning to shed leaves. They're so stressed. Um, it's, it's just unimaginable what the summer is going to be like if we achieve, you know, the, the sort of the classic climate change type summer with the anomalous uh, weather conditions. And I might add, you know, in temperature anomalies, we've got in New South Wales, you know, days where it's eight degrees above average. You know, these are like, you know, tremendously uh, extreme, uh, you know, weather conditions just day after day, these very hot days, hot nights, strong winds and desiccating drought. It's really, it's, it's really, you know, truly a climate and weather driven fire crisis. Obviously, 2019 is a very bad year, but have you seen a progression over the last few years where the fire season is getting worse? Oh, absolutely. We're on this, uh, we're on this escalator. Um, I've been uh, studying uh, fires for 40 years, um, and, you know, in Tasmania, nothing much had happened that southern Australia had been hit by these fires in the first decade of this century. And then this decade in Tasmania, we, we saw, you know, like an incredible fire event in 2013. You know, I was speechless at the sort of, you know, like that's just like a career changing, um, you know, fire event. But then in 2016, I saw something even more incredible. And you'd think, well, that's, you know, I, I need a couple more lives now to get my, wrap my mind around this. But then in 2019, which is not over, we saw something that even eclipsed 2013 and 2016 in its bizarreness. And then, of course, the fire season for this fire season, which we're still in the, the calendar year of 2019, has already started in Tasmania. So that it's just... Um, it's exactly like what's happening in Canada and, and California, that the fire seasons are, are stretching out, the, the fires are, uh, are more aggressive, uh, the weather is, is incredibly adverse for, for fires. So, yeah, we're, we're, as I say, you know, like you start to join the dots. And I like to say that we're on this bridge now. We're going from the reality, which we can all understand, to that hypothetical reality the climate model as we're trying to tell us about. And I might add, as we cross that bridge, we're learning all sorts of new things um, about fire behaviour and about ecology. Uh, there are lots of surprises coming our way. So that's also a little bit bewildering um, and discombobulating for a scientist because your, your, uh, your conceptual models, I suppose, your, your hypotheses are all... Um, they're all on the table, you know, it's all everything, you know, it's, it's as 
I mean, you know, it's extremely exciting as a scientist to experience this, but as a human being and somebody, you know, very concerned about uh, my community here in Hobart, I'm, you know, petrified what could happen to my, my capital city. Uh, and obviously my heart goes out to the incredible suffering right across uh, New South Wales and into southern Queensland. I mean, this is just, um, it's, it's just, uh, you know, you're going to hear a lot more about the story. I'll put it to you that way. The question is always asked now about the possible link between climate change and this kind of weather. Your Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and some of his Cabinet colleagues, even the Premier of New South Wales, have come out and said this is not the time to talk about climate change and bushfires. Do you agree with that sentiment? No, that, that's, uh, I, I can understand that. And, and I must admit, as a fire scientist, previously, like in the 2009 fire in Victoria, which killed 174 people, I didn't want to talk about that fire event whilst the fire crisis was evolving. It was completely inappropriate. But now um, the science is much stronger. And the thing is, philosophically, I'm left with a dilemma that when the fires aren't burning, people aren't banging on my door wanting my opinion about fires. The only time they want to know about fires is when the fires are occurring. So I've decided, and many of the other fire scientists have decided, that we have to talk about this problem. We have to discuss it and try to get some depth because, you know, if I hadn't been speaking out in the media, the, the politicians certainly were, and they were engaged um, really in quite an unbecoming, both sides or every side, there's multiple sides of politics. It was really, you know, as a, a fire scientist, it was like looking at, at a, you know, a primary school, you know, a quarrel. You know, it was just, it was really not deep. It was not leadership. It wasn't informed and it wasn't particularly hopeful. And I think one of the responsibilities we have as scientists is to, exactly the same as a physician, to explain to a patient that they have a, a serious uh, issue, but to provide them with pathways to to get better. And that's what we have to do. We have to also be providing pathways and solutions and hope and encouragement for the younger generation. It's absolutely um, uh, horrible to think about the younger ones. You know, they're little kids who've been drawing pictures um, you know, my world is on fire, you know, like that's, 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 uh, you know, as anybody knows anything about little kids, they shouldn't be drawing those sorts of pictures. We've got to give the younger generation, the, the, the people who are going to become the new leaders and the, the new firefighters, a sense of hope. Um, and we've got to do that by talking about this in a responsible and, and, uh, and informed way. And that's where the scientists absolutely must talk about this and they must talk about climate change, but they must also explain to the community this is a complex, uh, a complex issue, um, and it's not really, you know, a time for sloganeering. It's a time for agitating for more resources and more inquiry and more community capacity and more hope. You know, this is, you know, frankly, this is our Churchillian moment. You know, this is this is going to be really the big thing for Australia, the, whether we can uh, get, get, get to grips with this, because we are so particularly vulnerable given the, the, the dryness of our environment, that the, the, the continent is designed to provide these horrendous 
uh, weather setups, just our position in the Southern Ocean, the, the climatology of the continent gives us this terrible fire weather. Climate change is the accelerant. Climate change is the turbocharger. You know, we already had a terrible problem, and now the problem is, is uh, you know, it's 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 going you know in, into a really bad place. You mentioned what needs to be done. What should governments be doing in Australia and in Canada to help mitigate these fires? Well, you know, going back to the medical analogy, um, if you've got somebody who's sick uh, and they're a smoker, then even though their disease might not be directly related to smoking, you would encourage them to quit smoking because that's going to get them into a better, a better place. And that's exactly how I would feel about decarbonisation, that, you know, we've got to reduce... Uh, carbon pollution. We've got to try to stabilise our climate. But that's a long-range aspiration. I'm far more interested in the short-range adaptation to make fire-safe communities. Uh, so we've got to do both, but it's quite ridiculous to say, oh, you know, if we, you know, if we have a plan to reduce carbon over the next 15 years, that's really not going to help with an immediate problem. The way we're going to solve this problem is by fuels management, uh, and fuels management, taking the fight up to where the fight needs to be had. And that's right on the perimeter of our towns, cities, uh, factories, assets, mines, farms, uh, national parks, all of the, the things, the values, assets in our landscape. We've got to start from there and work back. There's been too much discussion about burning uh, you know, the outback, you know, it's like, yeah, well, that, that's tremendous. You know, we could burn the outback um, and, and we could invest a lot of resources in burning, you know, the back country, as we call it. But but that's not going to help Sydney. You know, Sydney, there was already this week a fire right in the guts of Sydney. Uh, and there are fires, you know, not too far now from Sydney. Um, so up in the Blue Mountains. So we've really got to, you know, say, OK, what we've got to do, say, with the Blue Mountains communities is to get really intensive fuel management around every one of those towns and suburbs, uh, which back into some pretty combustible bush. And then once we've, we've achieved that, and that's probably a 10-year plan, then we can start worrying about the more distant, uh, you know, and, and doing the more distant work. But the resourcing has got to go into building capacity and building community awareness um, and that's exactly the same in Canada and, and in the, the Western US. Mr. Bowman, thank you very much for your time. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.